the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Leibson Show. Welcome back as we head into hour two, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero is our number, six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. Story like this, I'm I'm always in an awkward position. Y'all can help me out. I don't know if I have the right temperament uh, about it. Uh, when there is a natural uh, disaster taking place, a natural disaster, not a man-made disaster, despite uh, CNN and ABC's efforts to make it look like a man-made disaster, climate change as a cause for uh, the hurricane, uh, uh, the Category 4 storm hurricane uh, afflicting Florida right now. Ian, is it? Uh, I'm 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 always asked, are you going to say anything about it? I don't know what to say about these things. These are not man-made. Um, they are not preventable. Uh, they are redressable. The weird thing, Steve Colbert, I don't want to play it because he just gives me the creeps, frankly. There's this weird thing, though. You may have heard it on other shows today or you may have seen it on TV uh, that he did a joke last night uh, about uh, about what was taking place uh, in, in, in the hurricane and and the joke was uh, that he set it up by saying people are beginning to evacuate. People are listening to the government and the political leaders to evacuate and get out of Florida. And then there was this weird applause, this weird applause that people were complying with the orders as if that is some kind of heroism. And then he landed the joke, which was. Uh, the good the good news is Ron, if, if for for Ron DeSantis and Floridians is if you say you're from Venezuela maybe he'll put you on an airplane and send you to Martha's Vineyard that was the joke and the punchline but the lead up was what well, Otto he's talking he said when he was talking about people evacuating and listening to government officials in evacuating and that got applause why was that an applause line there's only really two explanations for it people don't have a sense of humor and thought that was supposed to be funny because it's Steve Colbert and they were supposed to laugh. Or there's this weird defining of heroism or courage downward so that any compliance against freedom, against autonomy, and on behalf of a government order is now supposedly heroic and heralded, worthy of applause. That's what I sensed. If you want to go back and listen to it, as I say, I'm not going to afflict you with it. You can find it everywhere. For some reason, people thought it was super clever. You can find this everywhere. But note the applause when there's this line about people listening to the government officials in evacuating their homes and seeking higher ground. I don't know why why we applaud that sort of thing unless we are humorless or at least don't have a good sense of humor, which I think we don't. And I'm suspecting that in the Colbert Live studio audience or whatever studio audience it is, uh, taped or live, that uh, that it is probably made up of leftists who, not quite by definition, but close 
to, by definition, don't have a sense of humor. But my larger struggle is how to talk about it and what to say. Aside from saying the thing that leftists say we're not supposed to say, which is offering our thoughts and prayers and obviously any charitable help that is appropriate, I, there's, I don't know what news story I can give you. I mean, it is an amazing and incredible thing to watch. It is a horrible thing to see over a million Floridians without power and being inconvenienced and put in apprehension of fear, of course, through a natural disaster. Natural. Don Lemon, Don Lemon uh, tried to get uh, his meteorologist to blame to blame climate change on this. The meteorologist wasn't having it. Don Lemon continually just to spiral downwards. I had a listener email me, one of our bright listeners email me uh, early this morning. Uh, I woke up to this. I guess he was up before I was. And he emailed me along the lines of, uh, how long do you think it'll take to start blaming Republicans, climate change deniers for the hurricane? And how long do you think it will take someone in the media to say that this is good that it's happening to a state like Florida because the left hates Florida so much. He then said, my guess is it will happen on The View. Well, to tell you how smart of a listener emailer this person was, you bet it did. I don't know if it was the first, but I saw it. Joy Bahar today said, and of course this is happening in Florida, where the governor doesn't believe in climate change. First of all, this notion of not believing in climate change is is itself... A, a distortion. Uh, you know, climate change is all the time. Climate change is there is a massive climate change taking place right now before our very eyes. The question is how far do you want to ascribe natural problems to the climate change? And how much do you want to ascribe climate change to the behavior of humans? And how much do you want to punish Americans today? to ward off something 50 years from now. That question obviously pinched a nerve in the left because from there we got not long, not 50 years any any further, but 12 years and now 11 years and now 10 years from the likes of AOC. My larger point is I don't know what more to say and I don't want to make it a major story here unless there is a major story uh, of implications about what we humans and rational beings can do. Uh, Aside from helping, the answer is sending prayers and thoughts. And beyond that, I don't really, I mean, I want to invoke the Forrest Gump line and say that's about all I have to say about that. If I have this wrong, you guys let me know. Uh, There will be, and we'll be on the lookout for it, keep your antenna up, there will be some more of that Joy Bahar insensitivity. There will be a little bit of schadenfreude on the fact that this is happening to Florida. There will be. Uh, It already started on The View. There will be more of it, and uh, you'll be on the lookout for it. And then you can uh, celebrate the fact that your president believes that the death cult and the death wishes and uh, and uh, and the callousness is all on the right, which it never has been. We're the ones, when we offer thoughts and prayers, are told that we can... Can I say shove our thoughts and prayers? That's what we're told. That's what they tell us. I think I can say that. Interestingly enough, when I was watching one of the major networks this morning, and they all opened up on the on on the uh, on the storm in Florida, on the hurricane in Florida, they all opened up on it. But they did two or three stories on it, and then they went to what I suppose would be their fourth story, or really their second story. If there's two or three stories on the hurricane, then they went to their second story. 
which to me I think should be the first story, quite frankly, because it is involving human beings and human decisions, human volition, not human velleity. You like that word, velleity? It's a good word. Human volition, not human velleity. And that's what's taking place in Iran right now. They did a second, or as they say, fourth story, uh, leading uh, headlines. It was short, but it's at least important that it got covered. I would make it the first story, and I would not let it go. I would not let it be a one-segment story, as the networks did make it this morning. Iran, um, there are a few countries in the world whose actions can change the world, whose actions are Archimedean enough that the movement of their lever will change things in the world, not just the region, but frankly also the United States. Iran is one of those countries. You think about how much torment uh, that country has been responsible for since 1979, uh, plaguing every administration and plaguing America as well as the rest of the world, because it is a backward country that was on the cusp of modernity in 1979. It was on the cusp of modernity when a people, as Christopher Hitchens likes to put it, too long used to abuse, trying to overthrow that abuse, inherited what he called a flapped, winged ghoul, who would impose an even darker veil of oppression on them. But it wasn't oppression just on Iranians. It was a set-off and storm of revolutionary efforts, terrorist efforts in other countries across the world. We've talked about this with any number of experts, even most recently with Andy McCarthy on the anniversary of 9-11, and how even though it was a Shiite uprising in 1979, it is when you saw the explosion of Sunni movements' growth and Sunni terrorist movements' growth throughout the rest of the world. 1979's Iran Revolution taught the world what Islamic fundamentalism could do when you matched the arm and the arms to the brain. Let me talk about some things having to do with what's going on in Iran right now. I don't know how many other radio shows are doing it. We've had uh, three guests on over the past three weeks about it. But I want to read you something from one Mehdi Kalaji, a a Shiite theologian um, who is at the Washington Institute here in the United States on the Iran Revolution that's taking place right now, if it is fair to call it an Iran revolution, an attempted revolution, perhaps, when we come right back. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years. Today remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. That's why you don't need a pushy commissioned salesperson to tell you why you should buy it or that you need to buy it. You probably already want it. All you need is a reputable dealer. Enter the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, the only 
precious metals dealer that Seb Gorka, I, thousands of you already use, know, and trust. I own precious metals from them. You can, too. If you're interested in adding gold or other precious metals, they have the whole range to your portfolio. Give them a call at the Midas Gold Group at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. All right. Uh, I think, uh, like I.F. Stone, Izzy Stone once said, it's always such a joy opening the Washington Post and trying to figure out which story is the page one story. I think the page one story really ought be, uh, at least on the international front, uh, what's taking place in Iran. Mehdi Kalaji is a uh, is a Shiite theologian uh, at the Washington Institute, and he says, he writes, uh, the unrest has shown the irrelevance of many longtime actors in Iran as young people reject not only the regime but also the clergy, reformers, and dissident politicians both inside and outside the country. He believes this is a substantially different uprising than we've seen in the past, including the one in 09. He writes, since erupting on September 16th, Iran's latest wave of street protests has begun to pose a serious security and political challenge to the Islamic Republic, placing regime leaders in a uniquely puzzling situation. Interestingly, Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei has not commented on the turmoil, which was ignited by the torture and death of a young woman, Masa Amini, at the hands of the regime's morality police, known as the Guidance Patroller, Gashti Urshad, reportedly for disrespecting regulations on wearing a covering, a hijab. Yet he, Khamenei and his circle, are no doubt concerned about the movement's novel aspects. Any regime protests, excuse me, anti-regime protests are nothing new in the Islamic Republic. The largest one was sparked in 2009 by massive fraud in the presidential election, bringing millions of people to the street until the authorities cracked down on the movement's leaders. Mir Hussein Mosavi and Midi Karubi are still under house arrest to this day. The most recent round of widespread protests took place in 2019 after the government's sudden decision to raise gasoline prices. At the time, the Revolutionary Guard Corps and police forces killed more than 1,500 people. A shocking record, even by that regime's brutal standards. Do people know that? Just last year, excuse me, just in 2019, the IRG in Iran killed 1,500 people in putting down their protests. But unlike previous protests, the movement's chief source of discontent is not an isolated political decision, or economic this time around. The protesters' main slogan so far is women, life, freedom. Women, life, freedom, indicating a more generalized and profound opposition to the Islamic Republic's entire totalitarian system. The regime's comprehensive effort to Islamicize Iranian society and engineer all aspects of citizens' lives has steadfastly deprived people of freedoms in the private and public spheres. Women have been subjected to the worst of these human rights violations, with their very bodies becoming Iran's most crucial political battleground. Hence, human dignity and freedom lie at the heart of the uprising's current demands, centering on recognition of women as the primary victim of the regime's patriarchal tradition and authoritarian Islamist ideology. The foundation could make the movement a particular powerful humanistic, egalitarian, liberal, and secular force in Iran 
with tremendous potential for spurring fundamental change. Women, life, freedom. So where the heck are the women's movements in this country? I asked Erica uh, uh, Kosrai, who was on our show about two weeks ago about this. She was uh, doing what she could on social media. She, a, uh, 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 an Iranian uh, exile herself. And there is no effort from any women's movement in this country to align with her or the work of uh, someone we've had on before as well, Masia Linajad, who's getting a lot of, um, a lot of uh, write-ups, uh, particularly since uh, the Iran regime has tried now at least twice to assassinate her here in the United States of America. Where are the women's groups? They're not here and they're not rising up. They're not talking about it. You've heard nothing from Kamala Harris about this. You will hear nothing from the women in the hats or any other of the women's groups. Why? Well, you see, this administration is seeking something entirely different. This administration is not seeking women's rights. It doesn't care about women's rights. It cares about getting a political deal with Iran. That's what it cares about. And it cares not so much about women's rights in Iran as it does an anti-Western attitude in a regime that is led by Islamists who would not let women's groups in this country exist for a moment in their country. Because why? The more important thing is anti-Western rhetoric, hence the red green axis that Zudi Jasser and others have spoken about, the Marxist-aligned axis that attaches to political Islam or Islamo-fascism. If it's anti-Western, that's more important than anything else. That's what explains how you can have domestic progressives like Rashida Tlaib's and Ilan Omar's and AOC's support these kinds of regimes while they stand for things that these regimes would not let them stand for for a moment. You take Rashida Tlaib's positions on women's rights, on transgender issues, on abortion, on homosexual rights. You take her positions. You put her in the West Bank. You put, she wouldn't last a month. She'd be trying to run into Israel, as so many others who hold those views or live those lifestyles in the West Bank do. That's where they go. Yet yeah, Israel is, of course, the country she hates the most. Why? Well, there's something more important. It's anti-Western ideology. That's what dominates. That's why these women group, women's groups won't stand up for their fellow human beings in Iran. The movement is not tied to the clergy at all in this. That is to say, is an anti-religious movement. In fact, protesters have deliberately avoided the use of any religious symbology or rhetoric and it is conspicuously cleric-free. In the past, each of these uprisings did have a cleric of some kind or another. That's gone this time. It's not accidental. Many protesters see all Shia clerics, not just key regime supporters, uh, but also silent critics and neutral authorities as the foundation of the regime's legitimacy. This is an entirely secular and anti-religious movement. I like... The tricolon, women, life, freedom. Women, life, freedom. Be an interesting bumper sticker to put on your car here. For people that aren't attuned to what's going on in Iran, what do you think that would mean? Women, life, freedom. I bet they'd think it's a right-wing thing. <laughs> if they only knew.
I'm Seth Leaps, and don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day, balanceofnature.com. It's their fruits and veggies. It's a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables, all natural, 100% natural, not an added ingredient of any kind, no added sweeteners, no preservatives, no added anything. And it's third-party tested for all forms of impurity, so you're just getting pure, potent plant power boosts your health, your energy, your immunity. I take it every single day, and you can too. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Um, I have a feeling, something I've been wanting to get to, I have a feeling that the new prime minister of Italy is going to be a gift that keeps on giving. And I say that without the sarcasm. Often that's a phrase that is usually said sarcastically, isn't it? That's the gift that keeps on Joe Biden is, in many respects, the gift that keeps on giving. Um, and and you know what I mean. But we, we maybe that goes to the maybe that's a whole other topic, uh, the the cynicism of our age. But yes, mostly uh, that notion of gift is seen sarcastically. I mean this sincerely. The gift that keeps on giving. She might be she might be proportionally better. Than the left, uh, than the left uh, discounts and uh, and and discredits her and denounces her. She may her her success may be proportionate to the declamations from the left, both in America and abroad. Uh, immediately, she has been called every name in the book, from a white supremacist to a fascist, and most of us. Uh, we got into this a couple of days ago upon uh, the announcement of her election. I guess it was Monday. Most of us were who who know of her or something of her uh, learned it from a speech of hers where she was talking about the family and society, which went uh, highly viral on social media uh, across uh, a lot of the platforms. It was a YouTube speech she gave on the family. I would play it, except it's in Italian. I did read it in my monologue on Monday. Uh, the, the, um, the, the relevant excerpts are this. Why is the family the enemy, she asks. Why is the family so scary? There's only one answer to all these questions. Because it defines us. Because it is our identity. Because everything that defines us is now an enemy to those who want us to no longer have an identity and be merely complete consumer slaves. She went on. And so they attack national identity. They attack religious identity. They attack gender identity. They attack family identity. I can't define myself Italian, Christian, female, mother. No, I must be citizen X, gender X, parent one, parent two. I must be a number because while I am only a number, when I have no identities or roots left, I will be a complete slave at the mercy of financial speculators, a perfect consumer. But we will defend it. We will protect God, the country, and the family, the things that people so detest. We'll do it to protect our freedom 
because we will never be slaves and simple consumers at the mercy of financial speculators, close quote. That was the main of her speech that was going viral throughout social media. God, country, family, everything that transnational progressives, a.k.a. the left, hates. So they call her fascist. So they call her bigoted. So they call her a modern-day Mussolini. So they call her a white supremacist. Any of that would have purchase only to the degree that belief in God, patriotism, country, or family is a racial set of thoughts, comes from a racial categorization, comes from some form of ethnicity, or rather, is it more true to say that God, country, family, God, polis, uh, and family are the root, the heart the head of Western civilization. That's what they hate. And it's an incredible thing to try and explain because most people, I suppose over the age of 40 years old or so, would not begin to understand the idea that God, country, and family would be badges of racism or badges of slavery or badges of fascism up until about 10 or 15 years ago. This is the new left-wing dispensation, which is why they hate notions like America first or make America great again. Or when we talk about faith, family and freedom, this is why they hate it. This is the stake that is driven into the heart of Marxism, which also stands against God, country and family. This is why they hate her. And so what did YouTube do? Punchline. If you hadn't heard the news yet. What did it do? Jeremy, you know what YouTube did. They took down her speech. They memory hold it as if it doesn't exist. As I always say, make Orwell fiction again. I'll have more to say about that when we come back. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'm talking about YouTube's cancellation censorship of the Prime Minister of Italy's speech from a couple of years ago on God, Country, and Family. That trilogy, God, Country, Family, I was speaking about it again on Monday, and the point I was trying to make, this is why it's censorable. You have to understand the merits behind God, Country, and Family, <laughs> and you have to understand its polar opposite. The Marxist, uh, the Marxist thought, Marxist literature, uh, which is challenged by all those things and wishes to challenge all those things. Think about the famous, you say God, country, family, it makes one think of a little bit Douglas MacArthur, doesn't it? Duty, honor, country, in a sense. And long before, obviously, MacArthur, or long before even our Constitution, uh, Aristotle, the first political science, uh, gave a great book to us in uh, his politics, where he discusses the two things people come into civil society for, and it is to create a city, a polis, a country, a political geographic entity, and to preserve the family. The notions, then, of God, country, and family are what I have called our forces of composition. 
and it would raise zero eyebrows to speak of those um, those that that trilogy, if you want, God, country, fame. It would raise zero eyebrows at any point in American history up until, I don't know, as I say, maybe about 10 years ago. We were a different country until about 10 years ago when the lab leak of progressivism in our ivory towers entered and suffused the rest of the country. It's a lab leak I speak of often as being far more toxic and damaging than anything that came out of Wuhan because it doesn't affect our lungs. Rather, it affects our brains. Think about how unremarkable it would be to go to a political speech a decade ago and hear a politician on either side speaking about the importance of the country or the family or God. But it turns out, it turns out those things, including the reams of social science about them, um, show that every, every great movement in our country, every great social movement in our country, whether it was the manumission of slave or women's rights, you name it, women's right, any of them, they were dependent on those three things, God, country, family. To this day, we still know families matter, and perhaps when controlling for every other factor, uh, family formation or a family's being intact or not defines a level of social success or failure in near precise proportion to those who fall outside that success or worse, engage in social destruction. Now, why do I keep invoking Marx in all of this? It's to our detriment that we don't appreciate this point, I believe. I believe. Abolition of the family. The abolition of the family. That is a phrase of direct quotes in Chapter 2 of the Communist Manifesto, written by Karl Marx. Abolition of the family, he said, is how the revolution is to start. The family is in the way of Marxist revolution. I'm not saying people who don't like the family or the idea of the two-person family are deliberately quoting or well-steeped in Karl Marx's theory, theories, though they very well may be. And it's worth reminding that the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, did have a curriculum that they were promoting and still promote and still schools are adopting it that had as one of its planks to, quote, disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure, close quote. Why am I just uh, picking on BLM on this for a moment? Well, I'm picking on BLM because two out of three of its founders were self-proclaimed proud Marxists. That's not an epithet. That's not uh, calling them names. It is not uh, a pejorative when you call someone what they themselves identify as. And, uh, and they have identified themselves as not just Marxists, but quote-unquote trained Marxists. So I don't want to assume for a moment most progressives know their history or read works like Marx. I, I, I don't assume that they do. I assume that they just kind of, what, repeat the currents of the age, recur, uh, repeat the fashions of progressive education, detached from whatever founding it is based on. But I am telling you what it is based on, and it is based on chapter two of the Communist Manifesto. Marx liked to say, after all, that everything successful must be destroyed. 
And it turns out when you're looking at social society in the West, there are few things that have proven to be more beneficial and more successful to the rearing of children and the training of them for non-criminal, economically rewarding, successful adulthood. And that is a committed two-parent intact family. So, of course, it must have to be attacked. It must have to go in our modern dispensation. And, of course, anyone who thinks otherwise, like Georgia Maloney, must then be sent to Coventry, must be condemned or censored. She is, after all, standing in the way of Marxism. She is, after all, not a Marxist. She must, therefore, be something. What? What is that something? A throwback? Um, not modern? Nope. Nope, because everything has to be as bad as it possibly can be, because everything has to be put in the most extreme, polarizing terms possible. She is condemned as a fascist. And the folks at YouTube don't—excuse me, the, let me start that sentence again. The folks at places like YouTube and YouTube either don't want to have to deal with thinking that they're hosting a fascist, or they actually believe with the Marxist critique— and the transnational progressive agenda. It doesn't matter either or. It doesn't matter. The fact is they are engaging in censorship over something that is actually helpful to society. There has been no better replacement for it. It's like what Adam Carolla says about, you know, getting rid of nuclear energy or getting rid of fossil fuels in a sense. He says, okay, I'm open to the discussion, but if you're going to do it, you better have something right there able to replace it. And so we start doing it, and it turns out we overload the grids, and we don't have something better to replace it with. If you're going to do something like end the family or end patriotism or end belief in God, pretty big things. It's amazing how far we've come and how successful they've been in ending them, right? It's a fascinating point to sit on and contemplate a moment. We're going to get rid of God, country, family? Well, think about it. Think about it. We're well on our way, and in many precincts, the squares are naked and devoid of all of that. Why do you think they hate the notion of make America great again? Why do you think they hate the notion of American greatness, what used to be called American exceptionalism? That's the country part. You know they try to make the public square devoid of God, and um, when it comes to family, yeah, there are a lot of attacks on it, a lot of attacks on it, a lot of threats to it, a lot of challenges to it. Uh, let me pick up on that when we come right back. I'm Seth Leibson, and we'll be right back. I'm a working man, like my brother before me, I took a rebel stand, well, he was just 18, proud and brave, but a young Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Let me conclude on, um, on an appendix to the thought I was just expressing about the attacks on uh, God, country, and family, the uh, trilogy 
that uh, the new prime minister of Italy, uh, Giorgia uh, uh, Maloney, has articulated, and that has gotten her censored speech from a couple of years ago on YouTube. It's an incredible thing to me. It's an incredible thing to me. But um, this is this is the social media we now live with, which is the media we live with, which is the society we live with. Think about social media, society and media. And they're controlling what we can know, learn, think, and see. Usually wrong, by the way. You think about what they censored when it came to COVID, what they considered misinformation or disinformation or propaganda. You think about what they considered, and now you look at the light of hindsight, and it turns out those of us who were censored for what they called misinformation were more correct than the information that they considered credible. We were less wrong about more things than the CDC's spokesman, when, uh, than uh, Anthony Fauci, than the whole lot of them, the whole lot of these progressive dictators. We were more correct about all of them, whether it came to the vaccines, whether it came to the masks, whether it came to children, or whether it came to unloading and unleashing a second pandemic of mental health problems, as I was addressing in my uh, monologue in the first hour. As far as standing up for the family, God and country, I, I, I know to the progressive ear it sounds quaint and old-fashioned. Uh, it seems to me, if I can uh, borrow uh, from uh, the movie uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the Avengers, we could use a little old-fashioned right now. When you think about our party itself, its own heritage, its very first party platform in 1856, the Republican Party, among other things, it said it was the imperative duty of the party to prohibit the twin relics of barbarism. Hell of a phrase, that, isn't it? Twin relics of barbarism. Do you know what they were considered back then, the twin relics of barbarism put into the party platform that we were supposed to be against? Polygamy and slavery. Think about that. Polygamy and slavery were the twin relics of barbarism. And right there, right at that very moment, you knew we were a party that was supposed to care about the family. We were supposed to care about family formation and family destruction, both of which came in the guises of obviously polygamy and also so obviously that awful, awful institution of slavery, ripping families apart as it did amongst other obviously terrible things. They'd like to dismiss us as the party of family values. They kind of do that with a sneer, don't they, the progressives and the media types. Embrace it. Embrace being the party of family values. Because without that, what's their better alternative? What is it? What is the better alternative to a country and a, a, to a society that venerates and values country, God, and family? What is the alternative? Well, the alternative is found in Chapter 2 of the Communist Manifesto. And I'd have to tell you right now, the death toll of that is too high for us to ever want to replicate. Don't go away. A lot more coming back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.